And welcome to this week's edition of An Organic Conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, relationships, and life, the great life itself. We all have it, that list of bugs and insects that we like the least. From mosquitoes to fruit flies, from ticks to spiders, from fleas to bedbugs. Having shivers yet? What's ticking you off? Whatever that may be, this is the episode that will go head-to-head with your inner cockroach. And we are asking an expert of why, oh why, in this world, at this time, one insect or bug has to be living on this planet with us right now. Well, there is a reason. Today's show is What's Their Purpose? A Better Understanding of Bugs, especially the ones most of us don't like. And we believe that maybe, just maybe, your relationship to that one group of insects that you like the least might shift a little today. You're listening to An Organic Conversation, and we're your hosts, Helga Helberg, Mark Mulcahy, and Sitarani Palomar. Yeah, that does send shivers down my spine, mostly because <laughs> as you go through the list, I get really vivid memories of an encounter with any one of those particular bugs that you listed that is very unpleasant and burned in my brain. And Helga, you in particular have a memorable story like that. Yeah, um, growing up uh, on a boat to a large degree, um, we were infested one time being in the ocean as the only swimming island and perhaps hope for survival for a cloud of insects which turned out to be ladybugs. And it's interesting that that was a total joyous, never forget moment in my life. Um, not at, I mean, it, it turned, th- literally there was, there was barely any plastic of the boat left to be seen. It was thousands and tens of thousands of ladybugs crawling everywhere. But if that had been any other bug, we would all have been jumping overboard, I'm sure, or trying to barricade ourselves in the cabin. In this case, it was like being kissed by the goddess of luck because in Germany, as it is here, um, a lady bug or a lady beetle means good luck and great fortune. So it was a mesmerizing experience and barely maybe a few moments there um, where it, it got a little intense. But again, if that had been any other bug, we I, this would have been a nightmare, and it wasn't. So it's interesting how we see bugs is completely based on our upbringing and culture. It has nothing actually to do with the, with the insect or the bug itself. I wouldn't say it has nothing to do with it, but you're right. It does differ via culture. I mean, I had a great conversation with Kristen Ponger, our associate producer, who was telling me about when she was in the Dominican Republic. And um, there there is a, a little habit of the children there that when there's a rainstorm, the tarantulas that live in the area will come out from the ground because they don't want to get drowned as the ground absorbs the water from the rain. So the kids would go out when the tarantulas are climbing out of their holes and catch them and play with them in a gentle way. It was like the, it was like a fun thing to go and, and play with the tarantulas. And most people in America, maybe because of arachnophobia back in 1990, that film, are just, I mean, the thought of, the thought yeah, of playing with any spiders. Try to terrifying. find a shovel or something and, instantly. And there was another great moment then, too, where she said that she was, she was actually being bitten by ants, and that was a rather obnoxious thing that was happening. And when she went to slap them, the children said, what do you think you're doing? You're killing your elders. And then went on to lecture her about how ants are an older being than she is, one that should be respected. 
Wow, so interesting, different cultures. Yeah, and and listening to Helga and listen, you know, and th- that just brings up so so many things for me. Is is it absolutely is whatever your experience was, however your parents or the people around you reacted to that experience that you may have had, and then of course whatever your environment is presenting to you. And, you know, it's interesting because in today's society, you turn on the radio, you turn on the TV, you look in the magazines, and there's a barrage of, of advertisements that telling you that anything that has six legs or eight legs or is walking and it's in your home is bad. Yeah, pest control, right, it, to the nth it, degree. Pest control is that, you know, you need us to make your life safe and better because they're dirty, they carry disease, they are going to bite you or something like that. And there's never any conversation about exactly what we're going to talk about on the show today is what is the purpose of this thing here on the planet? Yeah, and what can we do, right? I I mentioned before the show, Mark, that um, uh, a house I know has um, $30,000 of of termite damage. And you were saying, well, it's maybe because the soil was actually touching the the woodwork in the house. And that's absolutely true. So when we know their purpose and we know how they behave and what they do, you know, maybe there are lots of ways to work with them and around them that um, it's not just ignorant, killing them and not really understanding their world, but we will find out. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helbert. I'm Mark Wakehi. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And today we are facing the fruit fly, so to speak, as we are dedicating this episode to bugs, bugs and their role in nature, especially the ones we can't stand and wish they weren't here, perhaps. What's their purpose? A better understanding of bugs, that and more, when we come back right after the break. Stay tuned. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Our topping in this hour are the insects and bugs, little critters that most of us usually don't like. Fleas, ticks, leeches, bed bugs, and the kind. To give this underserved community a fair chance, we're dedicating this hour to asking the real question, the question most of us have, why in the world are they here? And what really is their purpose? But before we dive into this juicy topic fully, here's our weekly tip from the world of holistic health and beauty. Here's Chef Sita and her holistic bite. Thank you, Helga. Well, recently we had our very, very dear friend Earl Herrick of Earl's Organic Produce on the show, and he was sharing that avocados, particularly domestic avocados, California avocados, are absolutely at their most delicious right now. Something about the maturity and how it has the highest oil content and how it will blow every other avocado out of the water. And we are 
big fans of guacamole here in this country. It's on every Sunday table, if it's football Sunday or barbecue Sunday or whatever it is. And I am a huge fan of guacamole. But at this time, when there is such an abundance of amazing avocados, if you're looking for a few other ways to enjoy them, I'm going to share three recipes that you may not have tried that might pique your interest to share with your friends or just to devour on your own. So the first one is an avocado soup. You heard me right, avocado soup. And I remember the first time that I just happened to try and see if this kind of a dish was possible, and it was such a wonderful surprise. Avocado soup is delicious at room temperature. It's also good just a little bit above room temperature, kind of very, very mildly warm or chilled if you're the kind of person who enjoys chilled soup. And the way that you make an avocado soup at least in my opinion, this is the tastiest way to do it, is to start by sauteing garlic, onion, and maybe some kind of chili pepper, a serrano, a jalapeno, depending on how spicy you like it. And then simmering in those um, starting aromatics with some stock until they get very soft. Then take that mixture and puree it until it becomes silky, smooth, and that's your base. And you want to chill that at least in some part, if not completely, before you take it to the next step. Because personally, if I, I'm not a big fan of warm avocados. If you like warm avocados, that's fine. But I like to chill this first before I then take it to the next step, which is adding the um, pureed mixture that I just cooled down in my refrigerator with avocado, lime, and cilantro, and blending all of that together to get my final avocado soup. It is so refreshing and delicious. You can adjust the flavors from there, serve it with a little bit of mango salsa or corn salsa, or add a little touch of cream or sour cream. There's so many things you can do with it, but it's a really unique way to begin and divine with some toasted pumpkin seeds on top. So another way to enjoy avocados is to make an avocado Greek salad. Maybe try substituting the feta cheese, which is great if you're entertaining guests who don't eat dairy. So you have all the basic components. You have your lettuce, you have your tomato, you have your red onion, you have your Kalamata olives, and a delicious blend of Greek herbs, mint, thyme, oregano, and then add chopped avocado to it. It gives you that creaminess that you would otherwise get from your cheese, but it replaces it with avocado which are delicious and in season, and non-dairy. And then the last one, I think if you listen to the show pretty regularly, you've heard us herald this as one of our favorite breakfast treats, and that's avocado on toast. And it's a little bit dressier than just cutting avocado and spreading it on toast, but it's taking avocado and mashing it and combining some spicy Dijon mustard with some capers and then spreading that mixture on the toast and topping it with a little bit of arugula. It's a great substitute for cream cheese if you're also looking for a non-dairy alternative. Delicious way to get some greens in your breakfast and whole grains. And once you try it, you're going to be addicted because it's very, very easy to make. So it's the end of summer. If you can't get enough of the avocados, now's a great time to share them, enjoy them on your own, and just you know, try a couple new recipes. And that's this week's Holistic Bite. Thank you, Sita. Fantastic. I've never had avocado soup. I think that's a, what a, I have to try that. I have to try that. Um, another thing people might consider is, is we've mentioned it before. And even when we talking to Earl of this, do grilling is grilling avocados is really a great way to bring out their yeah, natural Yeah, you mentioned flavor. that months and months back for the first time I heard even the concept of slicing open a, 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 a avocado, taking out the pit and putting it upside down on a grill mm -hmm. would have never 
you know, crossed my mind. And it's I did it, and it's so delicious because it almost caramelizes. I mean, it's it's a it's like marzipan. It it has such an amazing texture, amazing flavor. It brings the fat out. Delicious. And you know, and what I like to do with that, especially now, other tomatoes that are really worth eating, is a co- a cold slice of like heirloom tomato. Now on top of a grilled avocado is a great combination because you do have that heat, that creaminess, that fat, and then the acid in the tomato that just I'm, I'm speaking Sita's language here. Um, <laughs> Um, that actually, it kind of helps to break down that fat, but also gives you that fresh factor that you're sometimes looking for when you're eating something warm. Um, those are great tips, Sita. I love it. Thank I, you. I love yes, it. there is an Indian dish that I really like. Actually, it's a drink. It's avocado and milk, if you do milk. And I've never tried it with a milk substitute, but avocado and milk and just a pinch of salt. It, it turns into this really wonderful, protein-rich, fatty, um, very nourishing refreshing drink all that very cool cold of course um but yeah avocado and milk with a pinch of salt uh, it's an indian traditional drink and delicious yes thank you sita wow that was sita rani palomar chef sita's holistic bite today in this episode we are asking what's their purpose as we are trying to create a better understanding of bugs we invited the chairman and senior curator of the Department of Entomology from the California Academy of Sciences, San Francisco, to join us today, Dr. Dave Kavanagh, who hopefully is able to explain to us why fleas and bed bugs, termites, and bark beetles have their place in nature. Dave, are you with us? I'm with you. <laughs> Hi, Dave. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Thanks for being with us today. Hey, hey Dave. Uh, you know, this show came about. We were we were on a, a farm recently, and and one of the dogs had a tick, and you know, we got it out, and someone said, you know, what are why? Ti- well, yeah. You know, why are there ticks? And then <laughs> and then someone said, yeah, and what about mosquitoes? And and you know, someone else said, yeah, what about chiggers? Or you know, it just kind of went on and on. Yeah, and it's snowball, can't it? Yeah, <laughs> and so and so. Um, you know, I was I was thinking about this this word, and every day we use words that are just commonly used, and we use them without kind of at random, and not even know where they come from or why they're there. And so, in preparing for this show, we were wondering about the term bugs. Now, it's kind of the official name for a class of insects, right? Or is it? And um, is it actually a nickname coming from the fact that they bug people, or what is that? You know, I don't know if it has any basis in that, but it is, it is a, uh, the the formal uh, uh, common name for one order of insects, the true bugs. Oh. Uh, the uh, homoptera, which means the same winged, and uh, there it's a group of bugs that are all have uh, piercing and sucking mouth parts. Some of them feed on plants, and some of them feed on people. Uh, and bed bugs are members of that class, that order. People that know a little are very upset by the uh, use of that term in the broad sense, but I don't think most entomologists really are. Mm-hmm. We understand that it's a one-syllable word that, that conveys a lot of meaning, and and it's okay. <laughs> and so diving into that world, we know that in nature there are no mistakes. That being said, there are a lot of little critters as Mark just pointed out, a few where one really wonders um, the world seems to be a better place if they weren't around, and I'm sure you strongly disagree with that. Um, oh, no, be- I agree. I agree, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
Okay, you know, and that's this week's episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they actually don't have a purpose. There are many times where I've wished there, there weren't quite so many mosquitoes uh, biting me when I work up in Alaska, and there are literally thousands of them on my body at any one time. But but they do, uh, they have a place because they can. So the answer to all these questions, you know, about what the, what purpose these things have is that they have their own purpose, just like we do. We're here to to reproduce, to t- take care of our young, to to live out our lives, to eat, to sleep, to rest, to, ha- to have safety. And each one of these organisms is doing the same thing, and they've just evolved to have different strategies. So blood-feeding insects found a source of food that very few things were using, and it's a rich, rich source of food, high in protein and other nutrients, and uh, that's what they're doing. They're getting food. They're not out just to bug us. Uh, if I if you'll excuse the term, uh, <laughs> but they're there to make a living, and that's true for all of these things that we find as pests because their world intersects with ours. And I guess the thing is that uh, the question I ask, if someone asked me face to face, I said, "Well, tell me first what what's your purpose?" <laughs> that usually stops them absolutely yeah. cold. <laughs> now we can talk about about what they do and how they do it. Uh, for all of these things, and they're all extremely interesting in their own way. But whether something's a pest or not is all, all depends on your point of view. If I could give one example, I know you have some other ones in mind to talk about, but my favorite really is termites. And my house right now has termites. And I've decided just to let them go, because I think it'll take them 100 years to, to damage my house enough to bother me. But, you know, termites are really, really very costly pests. But, in fact, the world depends on termites because they are out there in the forest, in the, especially in rainforests and, and the tropical forests, recycling nutri- carbon that's tied up in dead or dying trees, in our case, in dead lumber <laughs> trees, and re- recycling that, putting that back into the uh, carbon cycle so that we and all the other organisms on Earth can use it. And it's just when we try to hoard that wood and keep it out of circulation that we come in conflict with termites. And you could probably say that for just about everything. Well, we we wanted we want to touch on many of those, so that's great to know right. because we okay. we talked about termites in the beginning of the show, saying that oh. yeah, I, I know a house that has about thirty thousand dollars in termite damage, and Mark's response was well, most likely, um, you know, there's dirt touching the 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 wood, and so there's lots of things. And this is not a show where we talk about pest control, but okay. um, this is their natural habitat. And of course, yeah. if you make a highway into your house through a through a hole you know, mountain of dirt next to the wood, you most likely will invite them through that. Um, right. So uh, we're talking with Dave Kavanagh, the chairman and senior curator of the Department of Entomology, California Academy of Science. Um, that website is research.calacademy.org on this episode this week as we're asking what's their purpose, a better understanding of bugs here on An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. I remember this question occurring for me at a very young age. I must have been less than 10 for certain. And I was, I, I, I even remember where I was standing. I was standing in my grandmother's kitchen. And I don't know if this is when I thought or if this is when I got my answer. But I hated spiders growing up. Absolutely. <laughs> Could They just terrified me like crazy. And 
possibly only rivaled by my dislike for mosquitoes. And somebody told me, well, the spiders exist to eat the mosquitoes. Now, whether or not that's true, I have no idea. But it allowed me to find a new relationship to spiders because I appreciated their role in the ecosystem. So is that true about spiders? All spiders are predators. And some of them even eat other spiders. They eat a a wide variety of of, uh, prey. Uh, Trillions of mosquitoes are killed by spiders every year. And uh, even though you might not like them in your house, um, we actually leave a few in the corners of our windows because they take care of the the flies and other things that get in the house and then end up in the windows. Uh, They're extremely important for the environment in in taking care of the the pests, what, what, what we consider pests, and, and uh, uh, especially flies. Things, flying insects fly into their webs, and they eat them. So it's, very, it's, it's a sign of a healthy environment if you've got spiders. If you don't have spiders, there's probably something wrong. Well, and that's interesting to me also because I believe in, in Native American culture, the spider stands for protection. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm getting a really vivid understanding of why that may have become the case, because they actually are taking care of other bugs that may be threatening your environment. When we talk about termites and you say they are a critical part of the carbon cycle, um, there's a, a, a purpose greater than the than the you know the termite itself in a way um, benefiting humankind, but even beyond humans, it's it's benefiting the cycle of of life, Absolutely. of the world. Um, the same is true for you know many bugs that are kind of the wrecking crew of nature, coming in and killing the weak to make sure that the strongest plants survive. What's yeah. when we look at at spiders, for example, is there a purpose uh, for biology greater? I mean, they're not just eating the weak mosquito. Um, to make sure the the mosquito population is healthy and thriving, is there a purpose that is greater than the very task of keeping their own species going? I don't. I don't think so. I, I think all organisms over over the millennia have have adjusted, have evolved, have, have been selected to fit in uh, with each other. Uh, and when when one comes in that doesn't fit in, it either takes over or everything gangs up on it. In, in one sense or another, uh, either it eats itself out of out of a food supply or or uh, kills off its prey and then it dies. Uh, so there's a self-regulating mm-hmm. uh, uh, situation in nature, and it's always been that way. Uh, things are here because they can be, and only as long as they can be. And as soon as they uh, have uh, destroyed their own uh, food supply or other resources they need, then then uh, they're not going to be around very long. And that's a lesson I feel that we really need to learn as a species. And actually, I feel like you just answered it for me, because um, mm-hmm. if spiders were not around, uh, blood-containing uh, uh, bacteria or, or bac- bacteria that lives in, in blood would spread much quicker and further if spiders didn't eat billions or trillions of mosquito. Um, I think so, yeah. So the, the, you know, the spread of disease through mosquitoes would be much, much greater if we just imagine a world without any spiders eating mosquitoes. You know, I've, I've, someone told me this, uh, this, uh, this factoid a uh, long time ago, and I've, I've never really done the math to figure it out, and I don't know all the, <laughs> the, the facts. I, I already like it. <laughs> yeah. They said if, if one pair of houseflies could, could reproduce and every one of their offspring survived to reproduce and so on and so on, so there was no fly that died without reproducing. But the entire surface of the globe 
including the oceans, would be covered to a depth of two feet deep within one year. Wow. With nothing but flies. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but if you do the math on some of these, uh, you know, uh, geometric progressions of, of, uh, of multiplication, <laughs> it, it, it seems like it, it's quite possible. I love that. Uh, I love a that. The depth of appreciation for spiders. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. So that everything that, that, that takes some of those out of the system uh, and keeps them from reproducing has some role in, in maintaining a, a more of a balance in nature. Okay, so we got that, you know, everything is here to take care of itself and is just trying to, you know, go to work every day and make sure it's got enough to just survive and take care of its young or reproduce or that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So I get that, and I get that uh, that maybe there's even people talking in these microphones right now that might be considered a bug to other species. We sure are. <laughs> <laughs> or to the same species in or your to, case, or Mark. <laughs> Or to the same, or to the same species. But you can imagine uh, a bug on the ground saying, "Why do these things have to have such big feet?" Yeah, what? I hate, I hate that. That one right there is the one I hate. Right? He comes along, he takes his broom, he knocks me out of the corner every week. I worked on a web all week. (laughs) Um, So, but. Dave, this is your world, and, and I know, and we've already described, you've already given us a great description, but is there, I still have to ask, mosquitoes, right? Uh-huh. It's like, the, what, <laughs> uh, what are they for? <laughs> I oh, know that my. they're just trying to go to work and do their job, but, you know, it's like, really, do we have to have them around? And they can't just be feed for spiders. I mean, they must have a role in the ecology of this planet where, um, you well, know. Well, there are, there are some of them. So males feed mainly, uh, ma- females are the ones that feed on blood, because they need, most of them need a blood meal in order to reproduce. Uh, they need that really high-grade protein that's in blood. Males, on the other hand, do not bite, and they don't live all that long. None of them really do, but they get their energy from flowers. Huh? And so some of them are minor pollinators. Uh, I wouldn't say they were agriculturally important, but they might be uh, important in some environments such as the Arctic, uh, where they would visit flowers and move from, from wildflower to wildflower and pollinate them. That's one thing. They don't just feed spiders. They feed lizards and frogs and birds and all kinds of insect-eating organisms that can catch them. So, you know, they have quite a wide, wide place in the environment. But again, all these things are just dangers for the, for the, for the mosquitoes. They're just here because they can be, and there's a lot of blood running around on the planet. And and they're so they're part of the smorgasbord. <laughs> they are. Yes, we're talking. <laughs> Very <laughs> true. We're talking with Dr. Dave Kavanagh, the chairman and senior curator of the Department of Entomology, San Francisco, California Academy of Science. And if we have any listeners left, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, t- we'll take a quick break, but we'll come back with lice and fleas and cockroaches and oh learn learn what they might do in the environment for us or on their own. Um, this is an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark McKay. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be right back with more. Stay tuned. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. 
You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Working from home is awesome, except when it's not. If you're working from your couch or your coffee shop, chances are you're not your most productive. For thousands of entrepreneurs, co-working is the answer. Next Space is a co-working company with offices in L.A. and the greater San Francisco Bay Area. Find an innovative workspace, a built-in community, and great networking opportunities at NextSpace. Visit nextspace.us for more information. NextSpace. Your best work happens here. Yeah, when the foghorn blows, I want to hear it. I don't have to fear it. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And this week is dedicated to giving bugs a fair voice in this world. What's their purpose? A better understanding of bugs in this hour as we are asking what leeches and ticks and bed bugs and lice and fleas are really for. With us is Dr. Dave Kavanaugh the chairman and senior curator of the Department of Entomology, California Academy of Science. And that website, again, is research.calacademy.org forward slash ENT for entomology. Dave, thanks again for being with us. Um, we, f- we finished off with mosquitoes. Um, I thought we would dive quickly into fruit flies, but that was voted down during the break. <laughs> um, Sita, you want to continue with... What was your favorite? Well, I know you were excited to talk about leeches because in particular you are a water being. Yes. <laughs> so having spent much time in in the swamps in Sweden and on boats, um, if you stand long enough in any lake in Scandinavia or even Germany, you will come out and there are three, four leeches hanging on your legs and you put a little bit salt on it and they don't like that at all and then they kind of fall off. Yeah. Um, And then I learned uh, when I studied kind of holistic health that, um, you know, you can bleed somebody intentionally. Actually, leeches take out an infection or or fever. Um, But I think that was discovered after they they were introduced. So, can you tell me the cycle of leeches and why what 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 role they have? And well, they're not they're not insects. So, oh, okay, yeah. good, good yeah. point. They're not technically, bugs. So uh, they're they're getting a break then today. That's I fine. I think so, but they do have, you know, they are they have rather than purposes. I I, I can use the term uses. Perfect. And, you know, leeches have been used for thousands of years. Yes, in medicine. Uh, for some some useful and some more uh, superstitious reasons, but uh, they're still used uh, in medicine today for clean. In some cases, for cleaning wounds or lowering blood pressure, or just for uh, 
you know, a number of different uh, yeah, even... purposes that I don't quite understand, probably because of, of uh, you know, leeches will inject you with an anticoagulant to keep you from, from your blood from clotting in that area while they're feeding. Really? Wow. And the anticoagulants may have some beneficial effects in certain circumstances. Well, but going yes. back to something that you were saying before we went to break, uh-huh. where you were saying that, you know, we we may think of these as, as insects and, and bugs that bother us. And to them, we are quite a bother as well. So then there's this whole other class of insects that may be pests for other species other than humans. And you mentioned bark beetles. Oh, yeah. So what's well, the story with those? So bark beetles are, are uh, another element in nature that... that uh, Helps the, the initial breakdown of of, uh, of wood tied up in trees, and uh, they they occasionally will jump the gun and actually attack uh, trees living. that aren't dead yet and might even mm-hmm. survive. But you know, in, in North America right now, especially in the West, we have uh, quite an outbreak of bark beetles throughout the West in a lot of the forest areas, particularly Grand Tetons National Park and uh, other places, uh, some places in Alaska, and it's basically. The bark beetles are getting a jump on trees that, that under normal circumstances would be able to fight them off quite nicely. But in the drought conditions we're having, uh, they are unable to produce the trees, are unable to produce the sap that, that, would, that would literally drown the bark beetles as they try to attack. And so it's a symptom of, of the drought conditions that the beetles are able to, to attack trees that normally they couldn't. Well, Normally they come in fairly late in the cycle when a tree is almost dead or dying and uh, and will, you know, be the first ones in to start using the resources that are tied up there. And and that's not sudden oak death, right? That is a different... No, that's something else. And that that's a, that's a fungus that was introduced into North America uh, without any of its uh, natural uh, controls. Whichever those are, we don't know, but this, it's not a problem where it came from, which I think was in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of things like that. When they're introduced somewhere else, they don't come with all of the other agents that normally keep them in check. And well, so they run rampant. What's interesting in when you say, um, you know, in drought conditions, it, yep. it brings up that usually humans look at literally the spider in front of them right. or, or the mosquito outbreak or the, the wasp nest or whatever it may be, um, and not so much in in the way nature uh, views nature itself, which is in much greater time frames, 20, 30, 40, 50 years okay. and more, 200 years. <laughs> so um, as drought conditions uh, may disease certain trees that then are more prone to uh, pests such as bark beetles, a hundred years down the road, um, those conditions of more humus, of more young tree growth, um, a greater capacity to hold water in the ground, being less exposed to drought conditions, um, allowing a new generation of trees to come up. In a way, the bark beetle is already introducing that new wave of stronger, healthier trees just doing the job it's designed to do. Isn't that correct? Exactly. And, and you know, even now, it's probably selecting for trees that are most uh, drought-resistant. Mm. Oh, and leaving those alone. Mm-hmm. That's right, because they are capable to function normally under drought conditions. Wow, fascinating. It really is. And, and uh, you know, it, it takes a, a generous perspective to think of that sometimes when, when you're in the middle of <laughs> it's your trees. It's uh, a good way going. of putting it, a generous perspective, yeah. yeah. But, but, uh, but it's really true, you know, that it's all... 
it really does help to, to, to take the longer term view to understand what's going on. It doesn't make it any easier to take in the short term, though, yeah, okay. in our perspective. Yeah, so... And, I understand that. <laughs> yes, and, that, and that's mostly, and that's a good part of what our show's about anyway. But so yeah. let, let's, let's go to something that everybody has a fondness for, including Helga, um, and that's something that's in a class of its own, and that's cockroaches. The lone Everybody survi- has a fondness for those? <laughs> I mean, wow. and I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you what it intrigues me about these bugs. They found cockroaches in, in New York that can live on the wiring of old TV sets. Oh, yeah. They've found cockroaches that can handle radiation. They've found cockroaches. I mean, you name it. And this this insect, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's considered a bug. You'll have to let me know. But this insect has figured out a way to survive. And actually, I, I heard, and please, Dave, um, again, that's Dr. Dave Kavanaugh joining us today from the California Academy of Science. Um, I heard that when when the last day of this world may come one day, those will be the last survivors because they are adapting to anything in any circumstances, including radiation and nuclear fallout. They can survive almost everything. Is that really true? Well, we have a... Insects aren't individually much more or even as adaptable as we are. You gotta, you gotta, when, when we talk about cockroaches, we're talking about a group that includes thousands and thousands of different species. Oh, okay. With mm-hmm. a body plan and a lifestyle that has survived for several hundred million years in virtually the same form. <laughs> so they've adapted, <laughs> Quite they've nicely. adapted to what's gone on over hundreds of millions of years. It's doing just what they're doing now. So. They'll probably, there'll be a roach. <laughs> there'll be some kind of roach that's going to be around uh, just about uh, under just about any conditions. Uh, we do know that, uh, that roaches and, and other insects are more resistant to radiation in general than we are. At least some of them are. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've, they've studied insects that were at the Nevada test sites back in the 50s and 60s. And they, were, they could survive radiation levels uh, unharmed that, that we could not. Uh, so that is also true. But it's not a matter of them adapting any more than we would. We do. Uh, it's just there are so many of them. There, some of them are already adapted to the conditions that are coming. Does that make sense? Sure, um, yeah. And in, in several hundred million years of, of world evolution, they have seen yeah. everything, right? I mean, That's literally. Right. <laughs> and, you know, adaptation is a very slow process. Very slow. People ask me, why don't they just adapt? Organisms have have three choices. Uh, They're not really choices. They have two choices. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They can, if something, if if their environment changes, they they can die. Uh, That might not be a choice, but there are results. They can die, they can move, or they can adapt. And dying and moving are two things that can happen more rapidly than adapting. And so if you can't move, you're stuck. Like a tree. Like a tree. Um, like any plant. They, they, they can't move. Um, they, they, they tend to die. <laughs> and as a species, they can, they can adapt through time where those, if you pick any change in a, in, a, in a warming climate like we're seeing now, some individuals are going to be better adapted to warmer conditions. And they will survive a little bit longer than the mm-hmm. ones that aren't. And they will reproduce, and some of their offspring will be even better, possibly, be even better adapted to warmer conditions, and those are the ones that will survive. And this goes on and on through time. And if change is too fast, then nobody can adapt fast enough. 
and that's the problem. So I, I think most of what people say is true. There's a really good chance that there will be roaches around long after we are gone uh, because they have a lot of opportunities already to, to exploit a different environment than do, and just about any environment that we leave them with, uh, when we go, if we go, uh, they will be able to adapt to or, or, or be adapted to. Already adapted. So, yes. So it's kind of. Yeah, it <laughs> yes, does. Absolutely. It, it does. And it kind of sounds like, you know what, we're all on the smorgasbord line, so we just better get along. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, we don't even know what, what, what things in that smorgasbord are, we really depend on. We, we really don't. We don't understand enough about what's here. You know, we only know at best one third to one tenth of the species on Earth have been identified oh my goodness. and named. The extent of our ignorance is profound, and yet we move ahead blindly, altering things we don't really understand fully. So finishing off with cockroaches, um, yeah. not finishing off cockroaches, but <laughs> finishing off with, um, what is, is there a purpose that you know, just like the bark beetle, um, that car, what, what's, what is their role really in, in the ecology of the planet? What do they do? In general, cockroaches need only three things. They need water, food, and a place to hide. And their foods are just about anything. As you said, there are, there are roaches that have been able to survive eating the insulation on wires. Uh, the insulation was probably some organic material, not, a, not, a, you know, not plastic. plastic. Mm -hmm. uh, they can hide down in drains. They can hide in walls. Uh, they can come out and feed periodically. But what do, they, cool what do they do? I mean, do they pollinate too? Do they um, eat dead things so that, um, you know, it's kind of yep, the vulture of the colonization? They eat rotting things. They'll eat rotting food. They'll eat rotting flesh. Uh, for, you know, a mouse dies in the wall. Uh, there are all kinds of things that eat that. If you have a mouse die in, in, your, in your, you know, the walls of your home uh, and you have roaches, they will help to uh, decompose that and get rid of it quickly so it doesn't stink for very long. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, they, again, they're, they're here to reproduce themselves. And you know what's really cool about them? I don't know if you know about it, but female roaches carry their, they, they lay their eggs, they put their eggs in a little, in a little uh, container that looks like a little purse. And they carry it around on the tail end of their abdomen until just before the eggs are ready to hatch. And somehow they know how that is, that, when that's going to be so that they can put that purse in an area that's got immediate access to, it, to food. So when they hatch, their young uh, have food ready for them. Yeah, there's a Disney film that they're cool? working on. It's called um, the, the Roaches Wear Prada. No, see that you, <laughs> you, you had a question. No, I just, I, I was... Listening to all of these descriptions, I feel like I've learned a tremendous amount. Thank you so much. Well, that's great. And, and something that's occurred to me as we talk about the cockroaches in particular, who've been around for hundreds of millions of years, and we're pondering, so what's their purpose? We may not have enough perspective yeah, to yet. ever know that's what right. their purpose is, because they've, been, they've, they've had a function in more generations than we've been around. And that's I sure. think that's a very humbling thing to be aware of. Yeah. yeah, to know that the ones we know do have a purpose and we know they, you know, clean up even dead mice, whatever, how, you know, aesthetic or not, it doesn't really matter. But their, their, their purpose in nature either cleans up or makes things stronger. It's, it sounds like a little bit like a generalization, but it seems to be the common thread in, in everything that you described, Dave, that um, they either make nature stronger or or they they clean up you know dead trees f fouling fruit 
um, or, or, you know, dying mice, flesh, whatever it may be, to keep this planet in order, really. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, I, I don't think we, we, we can think of anything that um, doesn't, doesn't contribute in some way to the health of the environment, except maybe us. <laughs> oh, oh, I was so no. want to hear how that sentence ends. Oh, this ends. was like the most beautiful <laughs> ending of, of this interview, but except, of we course. Could, we could be a real positive force. <laughs> we really could. Oh, except it. of us, oh, you're saying. Yeah. 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 <laughs> wow, what a fantastic interview. Thank so you great. so much, Dr. Kavanaugh, for joining us. Yeah, thanks wonderful. so much. Again, My pleasure. that's Dr. Dave Kavanaugh, chairman and senior curator of the Department of Entomology, California Academy of Science. If you want to dive more into that world of bugs, it's research.calacademy.org forward slash ENT for entomology. Pleasure to have you. Thanks, Dave, for being on the show today. You're very welcome. <laughs> so great. Okay. Wow. Um, continuing somewhat with fruit flies, Mark. Um, <laughs> oh, Lord. Yes. We need a hard break between these we two do, conversations. But what's coming up is what's in season, and it's not bugs. It's... They're always in season. It's produce. Um, that and more when we come back. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Hilberg. I'm Mark Wilkay. And I'm Sita Rani Palavar. We'll be right back with more. Stay tuned. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards, Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. Are you committed to green, socially responsible, and sustainable business practices? Percepticon can help with eco-friendly internet solutions, website design services, e-commerce solutions, mobile apps, and high-performance internet hosting for your business. Percepticon is a full-service agency that specializes in web consulting, strategy, and technology development, so you can successfully communicate with your audience. Lighten your tech footprint in a green hosting environment. Call Percepticon today at 925-937-9000 or visit them at Percepticon. I'm so delighted. We're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Wilkay. <laughs> and I'm Sita Ronnie Palomar. I'm so delighted that I don't have the cribbles right now. I don't feel yeah. like, you know, everything is itchy and it's all bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. The cribbles? Whatever you call it. What is that? 
Like the shivers. You know, the, you know, I, when Helga I, started learning English, she decided to make up a lot of words. Well, I make, up a lot, I make up a lot of words, too. And I came from this country. But, I mean, I just never heard cribbles. No, like when you talk about bugs often enough or long enough, you like, you know, you can't stand it anymore at one point. I don't feel that at all. That was lovely. <laughs> when, what's their purpose? A better understanding of bugs. Our topic today. And, again, we spoke with Dr. Dave Kavanga the chairman and senior curator of the Department of Entomology of the California Academy of Science. How fun. Yes, they all have a purpose, and we might find our own purpose at one point as well. Uh, Mark, you found yours. Here is now our very own Mark Mukehi, the produce expert Mark Mukehi, with the weekly update of what's going on on the docks and in the world of produce. What's in season? Well, today we're going to talk about something that has a very, very short season, and it's actually one of my favorite apples. I, as you know, I travel all around the country and get to work with farmers and retail stores and get to try some of the most awesome regional produce that you can find, heirloom varieties and all different, all different kinds of things. And here in California and in Europe, there are different types of apples, and one of them is called the Gravenstein, and it's an heirloom apple. It's actually an endangered apple here in California that we're trying to hold on to, and it's an amazing apple that has about two to three weeks of when it's... it's really? That's it? <laughs> well, it was a good interruption for you because I got stopped there for a second. Thank oh, you for doing up. Um, Well, here's the thing about it is it does only have a couple of weeks, and so if you don't get it, when it's just right here, right now, um, then it's not worth it because as it gets old, the, the, the skin starts to wrinkle, the, the the flesh inside starts to get soft and kind of mushy, the flavor isn't as pronounced. And this is a sweet tart apple that I've had people from all over the country um, who've said when they've tried it, it's probably the best applesauce apple you will ever you'll ever find. And what is unique about it is that Gra this Gravensteins and older varieties apples have smell. If you walk by your fruit bowl and and like you, sh there isn't a lot of smell to a Honeycrisp or a Pink Lady or a Fuji or a Gala. And even though they're fantastic apples, uh, Gravenstein draws you in. It's almost like uh, an erotic perfume that you just want. You you've got to find it. You got you want to know where it is. I mean, you have you've had that experience, right? Yeah, the, we have a local store here in the Bay Area, and they just came in, and all the other apples are kind of banned into the apple region. <laughs> and when you walk into that store, the one huge display is Gravenstein's apple Gravenstein apples, and they are peaking right now. The ones they had, um, beautiful and. I brought a couple home, really the size, you know, one was as big as my fist and one was a little bit bigger. And I put them on a counter and came back after walking my dog half an hour later. And the house was was drenched with the beautiful scent of fresh apples, of that specific apple scent. Unbelievable. I never, I mean, a Fuji or a Gala, great apple, if you hold them close to your nose and really, you get a whiff of what, you know, what, a what's bit. going yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. But you really have to touch with your nose, the skin. This one is like a bouquet of night jasmine. That's what oh, it feels wow. like. And these were just two, two apples, right? Mm -hmm. So beautiful apple. Um, and delicious, absolutely delicious. And it reminded me very much of my of my youth in Germany, very common there. It, you're right. It doesn't store that well. You would, you would want to turn it into something, applesauce or whatever, or dry it. 
um, really yummy if you if you dry apple slices they last much much longer um, and it's you're right it's sad it, it reminds me of all the varieties that I got to know when I was young that you most people have never even heard of um, Europe and in, in, in Europe the region outside of Hamburg is the largest apple apple growing region it's like a hundred square miles 60 square miles of just apples and it's all integrated pest management they don't use pesticides so um, again ladybugs sticking with the topic of, of this week's episode um, are that's the little signage I think we have it here now in California mm-hmm. too as pesticide free zone but that's really they release thousands and thousands of ladybugs to take care of most pests and so it's a very healthy environment and you have varieties like Glockenapfel and an Oldenburg and a Prince and a Spitzenberg and um, so beautiful to see that that variety is still being offered even if it's just for two three weeks and seeing how different it is from the commodities commodity apples that we are getting now mm-hmm. I love that well so <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any impressive lists of, of German pronunciation of <laughs> apples but I do appreciate when you get a piece of fruit that is so aromatic it actually makes you want to purchase it it makes you want to eat it it's such an important sensory experience in the enjoyment of food and I when I feel this way about Gravensteins, I feel this way about there was one other variety that came out in July. It wasn't a domestic apple. It came from Argentina. And it was in July. And I walked by and the whole barrel just smelled like fall to me. I grew up in Michigan. And so Michigan apples, fall, cider mill, that whole thing is very, very memorable. And I had to buy them. I had to buy them in July, even though it was early for apples, because the scent was that intoxicating. So, well, and, and so, so if you live in Wisconsin or Michigan or New York or Vermont or wherever you live, if they're if you're in an apple growing region, uh, now you're getting into the time to go out and get some of those varieties when they're at their best and they may not have a long shelf life, and just stick your nose in those boxes and just 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 inhale the autumn the coming of autumn and and the crispness of you know what is to come and i tell you what it that just that well first of all people will look at you and then they'll move away quickly but <laughs> but the fact is is that it'll just create an exp- a sensory experience within you that you will just be dying to bite that apple yeah, and if it's an old backyard and it might be a tree that was grown by or planted by your great-grandfather or grand- grandfather, the, the name might have escaped the family genealogy at this point of that apple tree. But there are still some really interesting old, old, old varieties out there. And, mm-hmm. of course, they're having a kind of a comeback now, finally, not commercially, but for people's backyards. And it's such a different experience, lovely. And I agree with you, Sita, the scent absolutely is, is part of the pleasure of eating. So Gravenstein, it's where it's at. Well, that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye now.